Join us as we explore timeless wisdom from around the world, seeking truths that resonate most for each individual. Welcome to Peace on Your Journey podcast. I'm John Lawyer, a former soldier turned spiritual traveler. At Kishar, we celebrate the journey of discovery together, delving into various religious, spiritual, and philosophical traditions. For a deeper dive into spirituality, join our vibrant online community at kishar.org. If you'd like to experience this production with dynamic art and video content, check out our YouTube channel at Peace on Your Journey. This little book took me on quite a ride. It's called The Principles of the Most Ancient and Modern Philosophy. I pulled it off the shelf because I thought it would be interesting to see what a lone woman philosopher in the 17th century would have to say. And I figured it would be an interesting story on how Anne Conway was able to break through as a woman in her time. And her actual story ended up being even more interesting than I actually could have guessed. And that takes me to the thought of, as I was building my spiritual library out, I knew it was important to include books from various religions, different spiritual ideas and concepts, also stuff from the self-help genre. And I knew that philosophy would be particularly important to be reading. And through all this, I want to make sure I had a solid cross-section of this great human thought from around the world and across time. And in line with this, I needed to know that I was going to be reading as much as I could from uh, both women and people of color. I just think that we need to make an effort to understand things from various perspectives. And how can we do that if we don't consume knowledge from people from different perspectives and backgrounds? And... As I'm getting into this book, I really want to take a moment to strongly recommend any of the Cambridge texts on the history of philosophy. They have great commentary. It's the kind of commentary that can kind of hold your hand as you weave your way through the actual philosophical works. And until this Cambridge text was published on Anne Conway, she had been largely ignored as an influential philosopher. And one of the most unexpected things for me as I started reading this, was that she was a bit of an omnist or universalist. And this would probably have been more termed ecumenical in the 1600s. It would have been hard for her to use any other term back then, especially for a woman. And as an omnist myself, I was more than happy to dive into her thoughts on the universe. She had strong Christian roots, but she was very open to the idea that Jews, Muslims, and even pagans would see salvation right along Christians. And in the 1600s, that's a radical idea, you know, especially for a woman to be saying this. She wasn't formally uh, schooled as a woman when she was young. The women weren't allowed in school where she was, uh, most places. And so she learned through private tutors at home and she mastered several languages. And that was really important education for her if she wanted to study philosophy, which she did, to be able to read text in their native languages. And she ended up being mentored by Henry Moore, who was a Cambridge Platonist. And if you're unfamiliar with this term, uh, think of it this way. Imagine our world is filled with shadows and somewhere out there, there is a realm of perfect, unchanging ideals and forms. A Platonist believes that these, that this realm is the actual reality, that what we see and touch is just a imitation of those perfect forms. It's a concept from the ancient philosopher Plato. And Henry Moore would go on to say about Anne Conway that she was an informal student of his because she couldn't be a formal student, but that she quickly became an equal of his. And he actually wrote about that and recognized that. 
And Anne Conway's path to her own unique philosophy went through the Jewish mysticism of Kabbalah. It had a lot of work. And if you're unfamiliar with Kabbalah, it's an Abrahamic mystical tradition, similar to Sufi Islam. So if you're familiar with Rumi, you might be familiar with, with the Sufis or to Christian mysticism, uh, which kind of includes the concept of this universal Christ consciousness that resides in us all, a very universal idea that the divine is close to our inner and innate self. And Anne Conway's view on God is that we're all one. Struck me as a Christian Brahmin, or again, back to Christ consciousness. I think you think about that Hindu pantheistic God of everything, going back to the Brahmin. And I, the reason I mix Hinduism here as I'm talking about Christianity and what Anne Conway believed is because the specific brand of Kabbalah uh, Judaism that was studied by her was built on the idea of reincarnation. And that goes back to kind of the uh, reincarnation or cycle of samsara described in Hindu texts. And Anne Conway believed uh, spirit and matter were simply two ends of the same continuum so that our reality is made up of our spirit. And I think there's a very, obviously, spiritual uh, take there. Uh, the commentary in the introduction aptly notes that her ideas were extremely radical and offensive to the orthodox of all Christian, all Christian denominations because they suggested pantheism and postulated universal salvation of all. And this really undermined the orthodox notion of hell as this eternal place of torment. And I think if you stop and think about that dogma of hell, how much, how important it was to the all organized Christian religions and other faiths, because it was a control mechanism. Oh, this bad thing, this is bad place. If you do bad things, that's where you'll go. In this, her only published work, she takes on Descartes uh, in his mind-body dualism. And she's quite critical of him in this work and makes the case of an interconnected mind and body, or a non-dualistic or non-dualism perspective, which you may be familiar with in the spiritual world, that the soul-spirit being is uh, particularly important in her arguments. She also had issues with Hobbes, a philosopher as well. Conway asked if the dualism meant that the mind and body are completely separate. And so she said, why does the mind feel bodily pain if we're simply passengers in a vessel? And another woman actually is recorded have, having asked Descartes this same question in private letters and correspondence with him. And he actually responded to the woman that she should only spend a couple of days each year concerning herself with metaphysics. He never answered her question. So essentially, Descartes dismissed this other woman who had asked the same question as Anne Conway as to uh, why it's separate. And if you're not familiar with Descartes, he's probably one of the most important thinkers in history. He, Cartesian thought it massively impacted Western philosophy. And I think uh, his most famous line is, I think, therefore I am. And I've always thought that was a really great way of understanding life. And having studied philosophy a little bit now, I understand that he was advocating for dualism, which I don't really subscribe to. And it's okay if you do. Um, but I think I'd rather say myself, I am conscious, therefore I exist, as our individual consciousness creates our reality that we walk through. According to the commentary in Anne Conway's view, there was 
the idea of the radical separation between matter, spirit, and, and body was at the foundation of Cartesian science and metaphysics. She felt that it inevitably led to a materialism and an atheism that she also found in the philosophy of Hobbes and Spinoza. Her work, uh, while well, alone work, um, and one that's fairly short, had a notable impact on the famous philosopher and polymath, Gottfried Leibniz. And he was a rationalist, along with Descartes and Spinoza. And he didn't really want to acknowledge his association with and the appreciation of the, the Jewish Kabbalah that in Conway um, had studied. But privately, he was very receptive to it, and it really impacted his work. And Conway appears to have influenced both his philosophy and his mathematics. And that really matters because Leibniz historically uh, made significant contributions to both philosophy and mathematics. And as pointed out in the Cambridge Commentary in the introduction to this book, Anne Conway's view of matter anticipated modern physics. And Leibniz would be viewed by some as anticipating modern field theory. So I think we should just reflect on how important this woman was to the development of critical components of modern thought and science. Have you ever heard of her before this? Uh, you know, I hadn't, and I learned so much. And he himself said in a letter to Thomas Burnett in 1697, my philosophical views approach somewhat closely those of the late Countess Conway. And all things are full of life and consciousness contrary to the views of the atomist. And I think that by that last part, he meant that we're more than just a bunch of atoms put together, a bunch of small parts. And I think we can reflect here on the powerful question of consciousness and that science has yet to explain consciousness, even though science knows it exists, kind of acknowledges that. Um, it doesn't know what it is. Science is a wonderful thing. I think it's a philosophy in its own right. To me, spirituality, philosophy, science, religion, art, they're all the same thing. You know, but science by itself, we're fine down to the atom, or, or even smaller now, we're going, we've obviously got way smaller than the atom, it still doesn't solve that universal equation. So there's still questions out there that maybe philosophy, spirituality can answer or help answer. Before we move on, if you have uh, appreciation for what we're talking about right now in this content, please hit that subscribe watermark in the lower right hand of this video. It'll subscribe to our channel. And consider sharing this video with your friends and family if you think they might benefit from it. And so moving ahead, this woman was pretty radical in uh, kind of the best of ways. She converted to the Quakers, which was pretty unheard of at the time. She was essentially at the forefront of the Enlightenment. And Quakers were essentially universally despised at that time by most in Europe. Uh, they wouldn't take their hats off in social situations. And this really offended people of the fancy social order. It made them really mad. Quakers would allow anyone to stand up and speak during a sermon at their churches. They would have a discussion at church and allow people to chime in. And guess what? That included women. They could get up and speak in congregations and even preach. And this made people pretty mad. I think one of my biggest takeaways towards the end of this of, of reading this was how we look at God in the context of Eastern or Western philosophy. It seems we more readily accept this universal and esoteric God in Eastern philosophy. And then we kind of take more issue with the mystical God in Western philosophy and theology. 
think it's changing, but I think it's been kind of the way we've seen it over recent past and then going back into history. I think we, we underestimate the existence and importance of this kind of esoteric Western God. I mean, to me, it's the same God, but I'm just like, and how that fits into Western philosophy. It's particularly important given how tied religion has been to Western philosophers. You know, as they wrote their theories and they wrote these philosophies, they were naturally constrained by the church. And they had to keep that in mind when they were developing their works. And so we have to think about this. As, as we're reading history and we're thinking about the development of human thought that got us to where we're at today, you know, how do we get here? Because it was so influenced by all these things. And that makes truth this really complicated and elusive concept. I think that's worth reflecting on for a moment. What we know, what we don't know, what we think we know. And the commentary in this work also notes how modern science owes advancements to occult philosophy and metaphysical thinking. That mystical and magical thinking contributed to the development of our modern, secular, and scientific world. And I think as such, we should remain grounded in science and use it wisely and guard it. But at the same time, what now in the metaphysical, spiritual realm are we thinking about and have philosophies on that may contribute to scientific advancement even moving ahead? If metaphysical thought advanced science in the past, that means it could advance it now and doesn't in the future. It was amazing to read about a woman who stood up for everyone. I think it's ultimately completely unselfish and liberating. She's someone who said we're all worthy, women included, other religions included, because we're all the same, because we are all the universe. It was a profound message of unity and oneness for me. And this takes me through, why haven't we heard of Anne Conway before? Because she wasn't just silenced in her time. She was also silenced in all these centuries since then. Why haven't we heard of her? Why haven't we read her work? And I think we know that this story of Anne Conway has many other sequels of, of silence. And this should compel us to look further and deeper for the great truths out there and know that our journey for understanding can be dynamic and changing. And Conway said, Thus, when a stone is thrown into still water, it causes a motion which makes greater and greater circles from the center of the circumference for a great distance in proportion to the strength of the motion till it vanishes from our sight. Without a doubt, it makes even more invisible circles over a longer period of time, which we cannot perceive because of the dullness of our senses. And so she's talking about throwing a pebble in a pond and seeing those ripples. And we see them, and yet they keep going and we don't even sense it. And I think this is a really beautiful and powerful statement. It speaks to the fact that actions we take have immeasurable impact on the world around us, and not just in our present moment, but carrying forward throughout time. But not just us, everything and everything that came before us, all the way back to the start, to the Big Bang, or whatever it was at the beginning. Think of all these ripples in the water, these ripples in time, and how you have some measure of control over your space, time, and your universal footprint. This is your power. You just have to choose to use it. So what 
are your ideas on how you impact the world around you? What are your thoughts on Anne Conway and her philosophy, her ideas? How did you see her changing the world of Western thought in her time? And let me know what you think in the comments. Let's have a discussion. That's what this is all about. And for more spiritual discussions just like this, please visit us at Keyshar.org. We're a community of people on unique journeys, sharing our stories. And until next time, I wish you peace on your journey.